Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome back to Cut and Splice. This is Gil. And I'm Matt. And this is Jason. And today we're talking about uh, 300, um, the 2006 um, Zack Snyder movie. Not to confuse with uh, any other 300s. Um, I uh, I was the one who suggested this one. I, I I've been meaning to do this one for for a bit, um, and I think we've discussed Zack Snyder's over the topness in the past, like Man of Steel. Um, so I, I don't know why, but I felt like it was it was time to 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 give this one a go because uh, I I feel like it is there is something to talk about here as far as the the split between the viewers and the and the um, the critics, uh, you know, it's it's one of those movies where you either hate it or you love it to to some degree, uh, which I guess is uh, is a theme in in Snyder's career, um, and um, yeah, and then beyond that, also the themes of it, I felt like uh, it was funny because like Matt said, like oh maybe we shouldn't do another war movie this quickly because we've done so many of them, but this is technically a war movie to some degree. Yeah, it definitely um, is. Yeah, so so, but but in a very different sort of way. Very stylized. Um, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, and and the poster is um, staring me in the face here in uh, in my office space. So, <laughs> so I, if nothing else, that's a reason to to do it. Um, yeah, um, and so I guess for you guys, uh, have you? Uh, I I think if I'm not mistaken, because I don't rewatch really movies very often. Uh, I think I've only seen this movie once or twice. Um, did you um, have you revisited it since like it came out? Uh, I've watched this movie many times. Yeah. Although I will say I haven't watched it in this was the, this was the first uh, last night or two nights ago, whenever it was. I watched it. Uh, it was the first time I have seen it in probably ten years. No, that's not true. Uh, yeah, close to that. Eight to ten years, somewhere in there. Yeah, Matt? Yeah, yeah I'm kind of the same. I, It's one of those movies that I kind of really enjoyed when I was in film school and I was willing to, you know, chew hours on, you know, just kind of revisiting it. And then I grew up and I was just kind of like, uh, there, there, there are other things to watch. Uh, yeah, so wow, that's pretty, pretty negative way of putting it. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no. But I think what that it means, be... I, I hope, yeah, it's more yeah. that just like there's other movies to watch. I mean, that's pretty much has been my my philosophy. That's why I even my favorite movies, I I only re rewatch like once. Like if I've seen it in theaters and I've loved it, like The Dark Knight. Or there will be blood. Some of those movies were from our formidable years. No Country for Old Men. I've seen probably once, you know, and then I'll see it again for like prepping for an episode. But it's like to me uh, a third, fourth, five, fifth rewatch. That's just that's just uh, unless it's a Kubrick film, it just doesn't really happen that much for me. Or Sergio Leone, say like some of those I've seen. I can tell you that uh, for me, when this movie came out, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I was working at, well, we were all um, in film school when this came out, but um, I was working at a movie theater 
when this came out and um i probably saw it at least four times in theaters mm-hmm. but i mean you know a lot, a lot of it has to do with the fact that it was free and stuff but um but still yeah i i i was extremely excited about this movie when it came out and i well i'll go into it more later but yeah essentially i i saw it many times when it was in theaters i think at home after it came out on dvd i probably i knew i bought it on dvd i probably only watched it once or twice though in the following years and then like i said then about eight to ten years would go by and i probably um just watched it um uh again um tonight for the first time in about that much time there's a lot to unpack in this movie um well, should we wait for the spoilers, or is it just the uh, overall review <laughs> as far as unpacking? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just wait for spoilers. I, I, I don't <laughs> think I, I think that there are a few gripes that I have. Okay, uh, okay, one gripe that I do have that I don't think is a spoiler is that the voiceover at the beginning of the movie makes no fucking sense. In that you, you've got this storyteller who's telling the story of King Leonidas, but he literally puts it into his story that it's the story of every Spartan man. And you know that he's telling it to a bunch of Spartan men who have gone through the same fucking process. <laughs> so why the hell... It's he giving this whole speech about what it is to be a Spartan man to a bunch of Spartan men who went through the same process as every uh, as Leonidas. I like why why do you, why is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, we should definitely keep it for the spoiler part to get deeper into that, but uh, uh, because of the the situational part of like when he's telling it and all that towards the end. That, that's set up like the first ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, but the rebuttal, yeah. the rebuttal, the rebuttal. <laughs> I, I agree. With, I agree with guilt. Okay, but but in any case, but but yeah, the main thing I think with this movie and, and why uh, I think it was uh, just special when it came out be, because it was in some ways this came out a little bit after Sin City, right? Um, yes, uh, a, a yes. year or two. Yeah, and I feel like it's like Sin City, um, like walk so this movie could run type of thing. Like Sin City, sort of got the the visual aspect of comics. I felt like like the the try, especially the dark comics, the the what you call Frank it? Miller comics, the Frank Miller comics, um, and um, and did what you know, the, the angly Hulk movie didn't do well is to try and like, let's, let's, let's call it what it is. It's not, didn't do well, failed miserably. Yeah. No, the, the idea of trying to translate the page yeah, yeah. to failed the screen miserably. in a way exactly. that, that makes it. And one of the ways that, that, that in movies it works uh, and the angly thing, he was just trying to have a lot of different boxes, but, but, it's slowing down the action because because the the comics are frozen images that have motion uh, insinuated in them. Um, so 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 it made sense to um, to translate it into a lot of slow motion 
and uh, and almost like borderline steel images in the case of um, of Sin City. Uh, but then, you know, Sin City suffered from some storytelling issues. Um, you know, it was like on a like an anthology. It was like a bit over all over the place. I don't think it was connected super well. And and, and in this movie, it just came together just right. And maybe it is because of what we spoke about adaptations, how the 300 comic like barely has any dialogue in it and it's fairly short and, and that enables, mm. it's like a short story. Like it's essentially taking a short story, like um, all you zombies or, you know, like um, all the, you know, the ones adaptations that we've done in recent times um, and you can expand on it and you can, you can enrich it. Uh, that world you can add more to it uh and which makes it easier to translate it to the uh to the movie world and then you still you bring in the elements of the slow motion and the imagery and and it it just makes for like a very very powerful i guess a movie like because it is like borderline just not a movie like the the closest thing i can compare it to is is like a Sergio Leone movie it's you know, it's it's um, it's like if Tarantino was more of a visual director and not a dialogue-driven director, that's that's what a modern-day Sergio Leone would do, is what Zack Snyder did, at least in this movie. And, and I guess he hasn't been able to recreate it as successfully in his other movies. But but that's what I this say. is this is the closest that I saw it. Like like taking some like action that is fairly straightforward done in other movies like you know Braveheart or whatever have you um type of movies and it's done well but here it's like wait wait well, but come on this is a movie like this is not real life it's a movie let's have some fun with this like let's really make it engaging let's really take our time let's really make it suspenseful and uh and and it's just a a joyride really um, to me personally um but I was going to ask you, I guess, on top of that, to also ask if if maybe there is a little bit of what you're saying is that are we slightly blindsided by the fact that we did see it when we were younger and we were in film school? Uh, if there's like a little bit of like the romanticism of that period and maybe looking back like Matt, at least it sounds like from Matt's perspective that, um, you know, it hasn't aged super well for for either of you or uh i'll i'll let you kick the crap out of me because i'm going to have a lot of strong opinions but uh you know go uh, go right ahead okay well but what about you jason uh, i would say that it is it would be very healthy to maintain a certain level of skepticism about this movie and it, it how it's aged i would say it's i i would welcome anyone to certainly you know like uh i think it's definitely a discussion worth having is what i'll say uh about was it just something really cool at the time or or is it as good <laughs> to, to to steal the concept from that uh that uh, movie bob guy was it really that good <laughs> you know um I uh, personally think it's a fantastic movie. Um, do I have problems with it? Yeah, it's not perfect. You know, um, it's got some issues, but more or less, uh, I'd say it's hands down the best thing that Zack Snyder's ever made. Um, 
and I think it's, uh, I agree with you that it's in a way, at least in its own way, um, kind of the best, um, uh, adaptation visually of what, um, uh, what it's like to read a comic book, bearing in mind that this is a very particular kind of comic book, not a very normal comic book, and that it, you know, it, it did capture it very, very well. I wouldn't say that this is like broad strokes, like the what you should expect a comic book to be like, or what it feels like to read any comic book. Just to read it, it's a perfect adaptation, I think. You know, um, but just throwing this out there because um, we can also talk about this too. I agree with what you're saying, Gil, but I actually have a problem. I just based on what you're saying, I would say I have a, probably a higher opinion of uh, Sin City than you do as well. I think that one's very good as well. Um, yeah, no, no. I think we've established at some point that you like it more than me. Um, so, I mean, for I'll say right now, like the um, like 300, I rated it nine back then, and and I I wonder if like that's why I was questioning whether there was like an emotional, and this is why I wanted to revisit it because I really have mm. I feel very strongly about it. But I watched this movie and I'm like. No, this is a nine. This is like up there for me. Like as far as action movies, this is like T two level. This is like uh, Dark Knight level. It's there. It's not as good of a movie, but it's as memorable. It's as rewatchable. It, it's just as monumental as an event um, for me personally. Like the, this is like you know like ID four. Like these these movies that you know depending on the age you're in, you could come across a movie like that even in an older age, but there's definitely a period when you're a teenager and when you're like in your twenties, especially in film school, that there might be movies that really hit the spot, you know, um, Sin City, I rated a seven. I mean, it looked nice, but, but it was not much more than that. Um, and, and I think the critics and, 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 uh, and the viewers are with you because it's, it seems like Sin City has better ratings in both. Um, but, but what's interesting to me about 300 is that the the um, it's 7.6 for the viewers on IMDb and it's and it's um 5.2 for the critics which is a pretty big gap. It's one of those movies that the critics really didn't like, but I really think that there's also a lot of substance to this movie to some degree even though it's completely over the top. But it's, I would uh, say this it's surprisingly a lot of substance for how little dialogue is in it yeah exactly uh it's the sparseness that they brought from the comic book itself that i think and this is what we can i guess discuss like in the second half um but but yeah i don't know what's what was um like your rating for it, jason i'm falling back on bad habits because i didn't think about that uh but i would say um i like the way that you put your description of this because when I think of a nine nearly every other like nine that I could think of, if we were to go back and look like make a list or something of what I've said was like a nine, I would say are probably better movies. But um, when you said right now that it, there, I would almost put it like, there's just something about this movie, you know, that's uh, that elevates it well beyond it, what it should be. Um, I would probably also put it as like a light nine also. Um, and just to kind of double down on what you're talking about, how it's like, like almost like an event, you know, that it was like this, I, I say less of an event, more like um, 
it was a it, it almost defined a point in time i would say in my head for movies because i remember when this movie came out um i remember telling my friends i don't think i've seen an action movie that good and particularly talking about the action yes i'm talking about the movie itself and the quality of a film as well but specifically the action aspects of it i i remember telling people i don't think i've seen a movie that good since the matrix in terms of action and then i remember years would go by when i would see another great action movie that i really really connected with i would say oh man the last time i saw a movie that good was 300 and before that the matrix and then like uh, uh, you know um probably three to four years later after like the raid came out i was like that's the greatest action movie i've seen since 300 or since the matrix not to say that it's not better than those but just those are the the the, the like you know um the the points in history where i there was a clearly defined action movie that was just that to me at least stood over the heads of all the others just noticeably you know um also three or four years after that i remember going to the movies with matt to see fury road and i was like that's the best action movie i've seen since the raid and before that before the raid probably 300 before that probably the matrix you know like it's just it's that point in time for me where it's like it's defined by the matrix or by sorry by 300 so to me i i that's why i would say that it's uh like a nine because while story-wise it might only be like a nice eight uh there's it's got something that elevates it well beyond what it should be it's just got a something powerful about this movie yeah like it's almost like a visceral and i wonder if it's it's very i wonder about the ratings breakdown if it's like if it veers very male and and it's because we'll lead into the spoiler discussion with the you know when we discuss like the just some of the themes and stuff um but yeah what what about you matt uh i think it's a seven uh i i mean i it it has some nice and nice images but the geography of the the actual fight sequences makes no fucking sense and it's in a context of a battle that should have geography that's really fucking simple i i I mean like you know some of the more poignant moments of the movie make no fucking sense if you spend two seconds thinking about it uh the fact that most of it was shot on blue screen makes it actually feel smaller than it should have actually felt uh i i mean it has some great images it has some great performances it has some uh uh it has some admirable qualities that i'm going to bump it up you know a, a couple of spots but i mean you know geez there are a lot of mistakes a lot of blaring mistakes in this movie <laughs> so yeah i i'm gonna I, i'm gonna stick my flag at a seven for the moment and it might go down so <laughs> so we'll see yeah. can... it might go up you never know yeah we might convince you <laughs> yeah. 
But but to me personally, I mean, one thing I would say before we get into spoilers, unless we have anything else, but uh, the the story that I like the most about this movie is is the scene um, with uh, Gerard Butler with the madness. Uh, this is madness. Um, like the way that the take that they use in the movie came about, like that that uh, and I think it's in the trailer, right? Um, yeah, it is. Like this is Sparta when he kicks him. Um, it, um, that moment almost didn't happen, and that moment is essentially a microcosm of the whole movie. It's yeah. it's potentially the most important uh, scene in the whole movie um, because it's they did it several takes, several different takes, and he was doing it kind of normal, serious tone, um, you know, and. And I, I don't recall the exact story of who came with this idea, if it was Butler or if it was Snyder, but but somebody, I think it was Butler, like he he kind of did like a, a completely over the top take that that and and then he apologized and he said, like, I, I don't know what I did there. Like I, I don't know why I raised my voice so much. Like he thought it was a mistake. And Snyder was like. I love it. Like Snyder totally got that. And I don't know at what point in the production they've shot that scene, but to me, it really feels like that moment um, informed the entire movie uh, of the way it should be. And it, it reminds me of Kubrick, like what Kubrick used to do to his actors. Uh, he would, he would, he would deal with some actors that are prima donnas and wouldn't want to give him like a, a take in the style that he would want. And he would say, like, okay, let's do it 10, 20 times. And then on the 21st time, just give me one take just completely over the top. And he would always use that take. I think mainly in Dr. Strangelove, he did that a lot <laughs> to get, like, good comedic performances from some of the, like, George C. Scott specifically, because he was a serious actor. Um, and um, and then here, this this is basically all, like, the, the crazy take that you're not supposed yeah. to use. Uh, yeah. But then, like, it all makes it. And, and I just... And in nine out of ten movies, it would fall flat, and here it just flies. I can't explain. You can't explain it. <laughs> um, I don't know how how accurate your take on that story is, but I definitely remember reading and hearing about that as well. And um, I don't. Um, I'm not sure how much of this overlaps, but like I remember. Um, uh, I think it was Gerard Butler who was saying at one point, I'm sure many people have told the story of that scene, but uh, I remember seeing him in some sort of interview talking about that moment and saying that uh, when he did it, that when they called cut, like people on the set, like other actors and stuff, after they'd called cut, people were laughing because it was just absurd, like completely absurd. And I don't even think the way he was talking about it wasn't like he was butthurt. Like he wasn't saying like they laughed at me. Like he was just saying like, I can't believe I did that. And everyone was laughing like that. That's just ridiculous. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This <is> <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you, you think about yeah. it like you, you think about like movies like the Sergio Leone Westerns, like, come on, some of those takes, like some of the uh, the long takes of like the and the performances, I, I can only imagine that people burst out laughing. Uh, it's just it's just so over the top. But 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 when you're in it and if it's consistent in the movie, mm -hmm. like it, it just really takes you to a different place, you know, a different like state of being <laughs> almost. 
Totally. No, I, I mean, I, I don't deny that. It, it, uh, it, the movie has its fucking moments. I, I'm not going to, like, wave that off. Uh, what is more boring than a realistic battle? I mean, like, this battle did happen. It was, what, uh, 480, 470 B.C. It, 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 historical inaccuracies be damned i mean obviously this was not supposed to be a historical drama this was supposed to be hyperbole in every way shape and form the entire idea of the movie is built around this um you know like creating this bottleneck and still like so many of the pivotal battle sequences seem to like forget that they have the wall up uh forget that you know like you know there's this narrow crevice like yeah i mean like i i, I mean some of the most pivotal battle scenes seem to be happening in an, in an open field and like the geography just doesn't make any sense it, it's just one of those things where like if you're going to make a movie about a battle it kind of seems like you should make a movie about a battle, especially if you're going to establish the movie on the basis of, hey, these are the tactics that we're going to use, and this is how 300 men are going to stand up against a million. You might as well at least establish the damn de- the damn geography of the actual scenes and they never actually established the damn geography well i guess so can we get we can get into spoilers so yeah so talking Matt about rushed us into spoilers yeah. Here a bit. yeah well it didn't rush us i mean we're like almost 30 minutes in but uh, uh but the uh but the geography i totally it's definitely a pet peeve of mine with with action movies when they're the, the battle scenes are, are messy and there's not a lot of strategy. I think there's definitely some strategy in this that plays into this movie because they do build the wall from the bodies and they then they they drop it on them and they have the strategy with the arrows and they'll fight in the shade. And so there's all these nice moments, not as intricate as like the some of the Braveheart strategy and some of other movies that yeah. like to have a lot that goes into it. Uh, because mostly this whole thing is about yes, this narrow path that's near the ocean that they're they're trying to hold them off as long as possible uh, from passing through, and uh, and it is it is messy. And I don't think, to me personally, that it was ever not completely clear. Uh, it was definitely messy, but but it worked well for this specific movie because it still gave me some moments. Of strategy, like it explained why they're so good at what they do, uh, especially in contrast to the whatever the the you know the the ones that joined them from the uh, uh, the Greek or I don't know which ones those are. Oh, they're all Greek, but uh, yeah, they're all Greek. But the other uh, Greeks, the other Greeks, yeah, yeah, the ones who won warriors, Arcadians, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they make a mess of things. They eventually would come to settle a small part of Southern California and name the city after themselves. Arcadia. (laughs) Um, So, uh, Matt, I would say that I agree with you 
that um, there are scenes in this movie, even the very first time I saw it, I remember thinking to myself that there are scenes where the action gets a little uh, muddled, a little like um, specifically regarding geography, where it's like a little frustrating. But what frustrates me about it isn't so much that I uh, I think it's really, really poor. It's that, like you kind of alluded to, um, they do a good job two to three times explaining precisely what their I, what their plan is and what the the actual geography looks like that they're going to be fighting on. And so with it so well established what's going to be happening, uh, and where they are, where they're fighting, it's odd to me that there's ever a point where it gets chaotic and confusing. Not chaotic in like a, the fighting can't be chaotic, just in the sense of like, where is this supposed to be happening kind of thing, you know? Um, I feel like there are those scenes that I'm pretty sure you were referring to where they're kind of using their effect, where they're moving the camera around and whatever uh, throughout the the combatants and everything. Uh, a lot of the slow-mo stuff. Um, there's moments where the background of the shot is kind of like just open. And to me, it, I feel like, especially when the shots are in a profile, which they are mm -hmm. about 80% of the time, um, virtually every shot should have a, a mountainous wall behind them, not the wall they built, but the rock wall of the mountains, you know, and, or if it's the reverse shot, there should be an ocean behind them, like a cliff yeah. and an ocean. And we don't get that. Now, as far as like, like you said, we established their, their thing is to use the narrow pathway to make their the enemy's numbers count for nothing. They say it like six times in the movie and whatever, blah, 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 blah. I don't fault the movie for that at all because we all know that in real life, the Battle of Thermopylae was essentially the very first, it would have looked like the very first um, probably 30 seconds to a minute of the action. And it would have just looked like that for a long, long, long time. Days, yeah. literally. You know, and that's going to get old at a, and they had a, they had ideas for what they wanted to do and how they wanted to make this interesting. And those ideas worked really, really well. And they got some of the most incredible action scenes that anyone had ever seen at the time and probably still to this day. And really the only thing you have to give it is, okay, so sometimes they're kind of creeping out of the crevice. I mean, the the geography they've established also still funnels the enemy to them they can't just attack all at once there's there even before they get to the narrow passageway there's a narrower area that they can come to so i mean technically it is still all kind of doing what they said they're just being asking you to kind of accept a little bit of suspension of disbelief that they are going to charge out into the field a little bit and that there's going to be a rhinoceros charging at them, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I don't really fault them for varying up the action and changing where the stuff takes place from shot to shot. Sometimes where they're like, sometimes there's, they're in the crevice. Sometimes they're by the wall. Sometimes they're a little further out, you know, and sometimes they're pushing people off a cliff. Um, all that stuff to me doesn't bother me at all. What does bother me is kind of what I think you were talking about, where it's like 
these moments where you're kind of like, well, where's this supposed to be? Like, I can guess, I can guess that it's further out a little ways because I don't see the rock wall behind them. I don't see the ocean behind them. So it's kind of an odd choice. I don't know why they did that. But what bothers me is that this is a movie, like it's the kind of stuff that I would find very forgivable if it weren't for the fact that it's so easy to get right. That's what bothers me about it. They've established the geography. It should be very simple. One shot should have rocks behind them. One should have an ocean behind them. Or if it's dead on, like looking at them, you should be able to see the wall and the the uh, and the crack, the crevice canyon thing behind them. Or if they're looking the other direction, POV shot, it should, you should be able to see hordes and hordes of enemies behind that, or at least a you know haze yeah. or something. You know, those are the four well, shots. You know, it's like so to me, it's frustrating because it should be very easy to get it right. But other than that, it doesn't really bother me too much. Well, I mean, when you look at the actual chronology of the movie, like the wall that they're building at Thermopylae, like going into that crevice, it it exists and then it doesn't exist and then it exists again and then they use it and then it doesn't exist and it doesn't make any damn sense. On a broader sense, though, the fact that this is one of those movies that was shot in the era of blue screen and green screen and, you know, like anything that's, you know, in focus in the lens has to be real and everything else, you know, like let's, let's just do it CGI. Like this is one of those movies from that era and it makes it feel so much smaller than so many movies that we've had afterward that just did it for real but that's but the question is does it need to be that does it need to be braveheart does it need to be um troy like does it need to be like an open space because the whole point of the movie maybe that's what they're rationalizing the the green screen action the whole point of the movie is that it's a very confined space so you can really kind of dig deep into the moments within it, but it's it's just this one space. And yes, you need to find a, a way to have segments of it so it's not just one bloody thing for an hour and a half. Um, so you can have moments to breathe. Um, I, I I think it's it just works for this movie. It, it makes it smaller, but that's okay. But it's the most epic smallestness that I've ever seen. It just, it just really, really works. Uh, I just can't explain it. Like there's something so grandiose about this movie that makes it so much bigger, especially like say a movie like Troy and, and, um, and some other, like, you know, I mean, this is no gladiator and, and I'm not even a big fan of gladiator, but, but you know, it's uh it's, it's a very different type of movie, but, but I feel like it's got, bigger things to say in some ways. I, I don't know, me personally. I mean, that could, that could lead into the discussion about the the themes because, um, I mean, the whole point of this movie is that it's a very small amount of warriors that make a huge difference uh, because they're they're fighting for, for freedom. They're fighting for, you know, basically knowing that they're going to die. Like, it's a suicide mission, but they know that them... Um, being that example of like we're not gonna bow to an outside uh you know um outside aggressor and we'll fight till the last man 
that could inspire a whole nation, hopefully they're politicians, but but then they're warriors as well, to fight back this this conquering power. Uh, and and it's essentially like that's what the king is doing with these three hundred men is that he's trying to set that example. Uh, and it also bleeds into the whole thing of like, this obsession that men generally over history have this thing, like often when you ask them about like, what was some of the most significant moments in their lives, especially like World War II, a lot of people say was very consequential for a lot of people. Uh, other wars, like say Vietnam and other ones that were kind of stupid wars, maybe not as much, um, but but there's this constant um, theme that, War just brings out sort of like the Shakespeare speech, like in was it like Henry the Fifth or something, the Fourth? Um, uh, 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 we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's band of brothers. You know, another good example. They, they. That's why they got the title from that. From that, for band of brothers too. Is there something about this? this uh, camaraderie between men putting their lives on the line for the sake of freedom, for the sake of, of fighting an evil, that is just, there's very few things in life that beat that. Like nowadays, luckily we have sports, which satisfies <laughs> some of that aggression that is in men. Um, but, um, and then they burn out the whole city when they win a championship. But um, <laughs> I think that's unrelated. Yeah. No, but it's not. That's that's the problem. The same aggression, but 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 there's something, and I think this movie touches that. Like it touches that, and it brings it all the way home. When 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 I mean, like the Fassbender, like when his his character says to one of the Arcadians, I guess. Yeah. I'm saying about like, yeah, like this is this looks like it would be a great place to to have an honorable death, like a warrior's death. Like, he says that someone out in that crowd will, is probably good enough to kill me, or something like that. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know what you're what you're touching on is actually a a huge concept that we, we could almost talk about for an entire podcast, probably. But um, and I'm certainly not learned in on this subject. But um, Frank Herbert talks about it in some of his books, particularly uh, I think God Emperor of Dune, the, the fourth Dune book, uh, talks a lot about it because um, in the story there's a, a tyrannical ruler who rules over the entire galaxy, the entire universe and um, has complete control over everything. And in an effort to, well, bring about their ideal world, their ideal society. Um, and, and you can debate whether what they were doing is right or wrong after you read the book. But um, th what they did was they, they, made it so that nobody could have wars anymore because they, they had complete control over transportation. And so nobody was able to have any sort of wars. And they remark about how after uh, thousands of years of this control, it has this massive effect on society, which is probably bad, actually, the, the effect that it had, because um, it discusses how psychologically people, but especially men, um, have this innate need to prove themselves. And historically, that is something that happened in wars, which is why, what you were kind of touching on at the beginning between these big giant wars that happen where an entire generation of people get sent off 
you know, and they all have a communal experience at this thing in some way, shape, or form. Obviously, they don't all have the exact same experience, but it's something that kind of, in a way, binds them together. And it doesn't have to be war. There's other ways that people prove themselves. Uh, but that tends to be the way, historically, that people have, is, is at least from one generation to another. And and then a lot of people find other ways during peacetime, but uh, removing that aspect of of society would have a massive consequence, which is what that whole book is largely talking about in a lot of ways. But uh, but yeah, like you said, I mean, there, there's uh, historically you could go down from one war to the next to the next to the next, and the way people talk about it, like you said, it's uh, anyone who goes through something horrific like that, uh, it's like a defining moment in their life. For sure, without a doubt. Yeah, like like you said, it's not the only way to be useful no. to your fellow men, but there's something about it. It's it's sort of like the equivalent of uh, courtroom courtroom dramas for TV. You know, like there there's built-in conflict to it. There's just um, you know, if you're fighting a war, there's there's no more extreme way of proving your worth than fighting in a war. You can prove your worth by being a good carpenter in your village, or you can prove yourself by being a good father. There's many ways, but but any of those things is not remotely as close as putting your life on the line. You know, as far as like the stakes that are uh, at play with war. And, and that's why there's something, and I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying that it's as a phenomenon, it's, it's very interesting uh, for us in the modern age, uh, and with wars happening less and less, um, you know, that, that this is part of our history, like that survival used to be this, like, you know, constantly battling different tribes, like protecting your your family, um, you know, hunting for animals to survive in the in the wild, like all these instincts, like very animal instincts uh, that are still with us, like they're in our history. And I think this movie explores it to, to some degree. Uh, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah. Anyways, but uh, I guess Matt, if you want to um, uh, let us know some of the other flaws that you uh, had mentioned before the spoilers, <laughs> the mistakes. Uh, oh, um, I I might actually come off as like a a woke leftist at this point. I I uh, which. You all know that I'm not, but when this movie came out, a lot of Iranians kind of had a gripe with the movie in terms of it being like, you know, anti-Iranian and, you know, obviously Persia is kind of built, well, was at that time kind of built in that Iranian region. And it's actually one of those cases where I think they might have a legitimate gripe. You know, like, the Spartans were not, like, America. You know, like, a, a free state where you could just, like, come out and, you know, have free speech and, you know, uh, dissent against the, the hierarchy and everything like that. In fact, I mean, Sparta was a slave state. And... Persia at the time actually had like the earliest version of the Bill of Rights. 
in recorded history. I mean, obviously, it's a 2,500-year-old version of the Bill of Rights. It's not like something that would be imagined in the modern age. But, I mean, you know, like, portraying this battle as, like, the Spartans basically being a bunch of, uh, you know, pure, free, strong, you know, people with agency against uh, an army of slaves is just not only historically inaccurate, but, yeah, like, I mean, I can understand why people take offense to it. I think that that's, uh, I remember, I think you might have been the first person to tell me many, many years ago that, um, about that interesting, you know, flip that's, that's in there. The fact that, um, that several times in the movie, uh, Gerard Butler is clearly saying that you threaten us with slavery and death and, and then, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, but, but they, they kind of, you know, I think, uh, uh, Lena Headey uh, has a bunch of stuff about freedom and stuff like that too, and whatever. And uh, you know, it's definitely worth discussing. I think, in my opinion, but I don't really see it as a problem with the movie. Um, it, it to me, it's just all it is is a product of the fact that it's an American movie. You know, I mean, you can see all kinds of, uh, and I mean, also, it's an American movie, and it's a movie that's not particularly historically accurate and doesn't claim to be, you know, um, I think it would be far, far more offensive thing to, to, to exist in this movie. If this movie was presented more like, you know, Braveheart or more like, you know, uh, I don't know, Gettysburg or something, you know, <laughs> uh, saving <laughs> private Ryan, you know, like something where it's like at least striving to be, accurate in some of its details or most of its details the important details you know stuff like that whereas this movie has spartans fighting with no armor you know yeah. they're, they're in speedos you know <laughs> like i mean uh but um the particularly the aspect of the slavery and the freedom and all that the way that they they frame all of that stuff to me that's just a product of it being an american movie because like you can see that in a lot of other movies i mean aladdin is a perfect one too you know there's like the the I, aladdin is my favorite you know disney animated feature and it's like i still it makes me chuckle when i think about like how the basic premise of that movie is about freedom you know it's about jasmine's freedom to to marry who she wants and and uh the genie having freedom to live his life and stuff like that and it's like these are such american concepts and it it's it's so completely alien to the the region that it's you know being made in that it's depicting i should say uh or something like that but it's like who cares i mean this is an american movie and they're just taking a classic story and they're making it into what they want to make it you can see other uh foreign films do the same thing i, I don't have a great example at the moment but you know certainly there's some um you know either um hong kong films or or um, Japanese films or whatever. You, I'm sure there's, if I can't think of any examples at the moment, but probably some Bollywood films, you know, out there too, where it's like, you know, they probably took a concept of, or a story and they made a movie out of it. And it, the movie 
gets changed a bit to fix their, you know, their concept of what the story is that they're trying to tell, you know, and whatever. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth bringing up. It's the historical inaccuracies, especially when it comes to that, because opposite of how it should be, <laughs> but um, it doesn't really bother me that much. Yeah. I mean, and, and historically I'm actually reading an article about it. I mean, Persia did invade Greece um, like several times. And then, and then this whole story um, unfolded. And in one of the paintings that they did about it, um, they're actually completely naked. They don't even have, uh, they barely have just a shield and a sword. Um, what? They don't even have speedos. Yeah. Um, oh my God. Not how I would want to go into battle. Yeah, I'm yeah, not sure I, if this is a, the battle itself. I just uh, it's yeah. a it's a painting of Leonidas it's from 1814. It's in the Louvre. Uh, but in any case, yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah the, I mean the Battle of Marathon happened uh, ten years before that. Yeah, that exactly. Was... There, there was this was like the second wave invasion of uh, Persia, and uh, I, I you know I think it's kind of like it reminds me of like um, you know. Uh, the Top Gun Maverick, how in modern movies, because you don't want to like hurt anybody's feelings, they've basically made the enemy be like a, an unknown origin, <laughs> essentially, um, because they don't want to like, ah, oh, well, we can't be the Russian, they can't be Middle Eastern, can't make it China. You know, everybody in the, in the, in the global, you know, with globalism and everything, it feels like uh, every little thing that you're gonna do is gonna hurt somebody's feelings, uh, whether it's a nation or a, or a leftist um, or a right wing. <laughs> uh, but um, but but yeah, I feel like it's 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 history. It happened to some degree. Persia was an empire at some point, and it conquered. And, and yes, slaves existed in most nations at the time, including in Sparta. But um, yeah. I don't think it makes them like um, less or more uh, immoral than other states around it. Uh, it's, they're just they they symbolize this this idea of this warrior tribe that you know just just like wouldn't take yeah. shit from nobody. Right, they they were the Klingons of Greece. Yeah, in a way, and and uh, and it's not to say again. I, I'm not condoning it. I don't think it's the way to live. Like he he says how like the whole scenes with him saying like I brought more soldiers than you did because my soldiers are full time soldiers and your soldiers are like you know blacksmith and you know carpenters and whatnot. Um, I don't know if that's a good idea. I, I think I think it's a it's it's a bad life to live to not have a, an. Uh, rewarding an occupation that is not involved uh, purely in violence, but but it's it's this notion of like, you know, I rather die than to be than to, you know, be ruled by by someone else. Yeah. Like to, yeah, that 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 whole idea is what's trying to be illustrated here. And yeah, maybe in some cases it is better to surrender and then bide your time and you know eventually like empires fall. But uh, but in this specific case, the, the the whole point is they're trying to inspire a whole nation, and and historically, what happens is that because they've delayed them, and is why they were able to win the war eventually, and and Persia didn't wasn't able to take over Greece for a second uh, in the second I, I, try. Yeah, I I mean one thing that I have to obviously fundamentally uh, you know 
give the movie points for is that Leonidas lived up to the principles of, you know, Patrick Henry, you know, give me liberty or give me death. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I could exactly. Wrong. That's why I'm surprised that, like, uh, being that you are a big fan of uh, movies about freedom. But, uh, <laughs> it, it's just, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I, I am a huge fan. I just, uh, I, it, there are just so many glaring issues that I have with this. So, you know, it's just uh, like aesthetically. Um, and this is not as libertarian of a type of freedom as it is. It is just like um, not wanting to be a slave or also there's not enough communism here too. <laughs> <laughs> there's tyranny. There's tyranny. There's tyranny. Yeah, you know, there's, uh... it's, it's placating freedom you know it's uh, i i i mean it's freedom in rhetoric and not in actual practice probably more freedom than they would have under xerxes Uh, (laughs) yeah and it also makes the point that it doesn't shy away from the fact that yeah politics sucks and there's corrupt people and it's imperfect and 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 the 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 Senate is not behind their their king, but that's still it's ours. It's kind of like the whole, you know, going back to like the Jewish state, like, you know, uh, the Jewish state is not perfect. And there is like infighting and, and you know, Jews come from all parts of the world and 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 it's not an easy place to like get along. Um, but uh, and then with all the conflict around it, but it's ours. There's something about like, but at least it's like a place we can call our own and we have self-determination and, and self-determination is is one of the most important things, I think, uh, consistently Absolutely. in like human, um, you know, human nature, history, history nature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I. I just wanted to say this. Uh, it's funny. You guys uh, mentioned Troy before this. You were kind of comparing it, some stuff earlier when you were talking about like the scope of it and everything. And um, <clears throat> it's a very good movie to compare it to because it was only a few years before this, I think. And um, uh, one or two years before it. Um, I almost kind of wonder if uh, if there were, if Gladiator was such a monumental movie that it caused like six years of, of these t- sorts of movies to start coming out. Uh, but, um, anyway, I was just going to say that, um, it's funny because I do think that 300 has a number of problems, but, um, while I am a fan of the movie, Troy, I think it has far more problems. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, my best moment in Troy is the, the actual, like hand, the, the combat between uh, Achilles and uh, Hector. I, I mean, that, that was just, I, also Eric Bana, how the fuck is that guy not still a, a movie star? Yeah. I mean, well, that, he, he is a movie star. He's just not as his career is not what it should be. No, I, I mean, I mean, I'm a heterosexual guy and I would bang that. Anybody, <laughs> and he's wow. uh, no, but I mean, he's he's versatile, he plugs into every role, he's always 
charismatic. He's always fun to look at. He's always fun to listen to. I don't know how this guy is not like a list. Uh, I I don't understand how this guy is, is flying under the radar. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I will say I I like him too. I, I feel like he's sort of like, uh, an action version of Adrian Brody. Um, like he, I, I think he's he's not Brad Pitt, like he's not Russell Crowe, like he's not um he's not a classic leading man. That's why I think um it's he's not plugged into big roles as much. I mean, I'm yeah, sure. But he's if if uh, if Ed Norton can do it, then why can't Eric Bana? Uh Ed Norton, I would say, is a more versatile actor. I mean, he, versatile, yeah, yeah, but he, he doesn't, but. But Eric Bana's got at least as much screen presence as uh, as Ed Norton, and that's generally what I Ed Norton's my go-to example of great, amazing actor who just doesn't have that leading man screen presence that you get with like Brad Pitt and you know uh, Tom. Cruise. And and by the way, Edward Norton, I think more so because he's like an ass. Like he he hasn't been in too many movies. He's lately been in a few Wes Anderson movies because they they get along. But but he's um. He's also been underused in recent years. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, well, compare his career to Eric Bana's, though. Yeah, but again, I do think he's a better actor. I mean, like, he's a, yeah, an Oscar uh, it's, winner, it's no? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess what, what I'm trying to say, and I, maybe Matt's trying to say, I don't know, is that we're getting a little bit on a tangent here, but I feel like Eric Bana could be an Oscar-winning actor with the right project. Uh, yeah, but he would really yeah. need the right project. Whereas yeah. Edward Norton is, um, no, you're Edward right. Norton you're right. Like, Edward Norton brings it. Yeah. As a more cerebral, like actor, like, yeah, which is actually not super common for American actors. Um, you know, he, yeah, he's, he's an interesting actor. Like he, he really like, um, when he, when he like, um, nails a role, he really nails it. But, oh, yeah. um, but yeah, he's got his problems too. Um, yeah. actually, you know, the biggest problem, the biggest problem with Eric Bana is that he's too likable. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, he's never going to be like a villain. <laughs> I, right. I, I mean, the fact that you know he was playing Hector in, uh, in that movie, and you knew that he was going to die, no matter how good that action scene was between he and Brad Pitt. You knew that he was going to die. Uh, you're you were rooting for Eric Bana the whole time, even though you knew he was going to die. <laughs> I I had some uh, female friends that I went to go see the movie Troy with, and when we came out, they were l- talking about how they said I went to this movie specifically to see Brad Pitt, and they said when I left, all I was thinking about was Eric Bana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, he's just too likable. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, getting what well, since we're talking about the actors here, getting back to three hundred, I just want to say that one of my favorite things about this movie is how this movie completely redefined and jump started uh, or, or re jump started Gerard Butler's career. 
Like, I mean, it, it was it's like night and day difference, the kind of roles he was getting before and after. Uh, I mean, even though he had some notable roles before, you know, in Dracula and, uh, you know, Phantom of the Opera and stuff like that, where it was like big, big uh, types of roles. But like, this was like what changed everything for him. And it's, there's no like wonder about it. You watch the movie and he's just outstanding. And his 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 presence is unmistakable. Un, uh, I mean, it's incredible. And despite all of that and, and the list of people I want to mention in this cast, despite all of that, Fassbender steals this movie more so than almost anyone has ever stolen a movie at least as far back as Val Kilmer stealing Tombstone. Yep. Yeah. Um, he's he's very good. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm sure that's when he kind of... Um, was got on people's radar is when he did this movie gotta be but yeah, yeah. i mean it's not just him i mean um you know uh lena hetty is great um uh, she's she's amazing in it um i mean I, I this is the kind of movie where i would get bored out of my mind every time they cut away from the action and yet she is interesting enough to keep my attention i think she was great and um the guy whose name i always forget but um I always feel bad for him because I think he's so good in the wire. And the only thing he's ever done, I think in movies is like always play the like sleazy bad guy, but the politician guy, he's really good in the scenes with her and stuff. But, um, uh, Rodrigo yeah. Santoro. Dominic uh, West. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dominic West. Yeah. He's great. Um, but Rodrigo Santoro is so amazing in this movie that, for years actually still to this day i think when i'm having conversations with people and someone's talking about like um you know you name it whatever movie you know westworld or uh that that one about the chilean crisis with the people in the cave you know or like uh love actually you know or anything like somebody will be talking about a scene that might have him in it or whatever and, and i'll just be like oh yeah and xerxes you know like that's all i think about him as he's just he and, and he doesn't even look anything like himself. He's incredible, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I just like that's how I think of this guy. Is just as Xerxes, <laughs> and he looks nothing like um, yeah himself in the uh, no. It's <laughs> too much uh, crap on his face. I also like David Wenham. Um, I don't think he's. I mean, this is the movie I think is his best performance. For the narrator. Probably. Yeah, uh, I mean he he's had some fun roles in other movies i think he's one of the, the finer characters in um what is otherwise a, a somewhat forgettable movie but that um that van helsing movie that hugh jackman made but um you know like uh th he's been in other stuff too but this is the movie that i think almost everyone would remember him from if they see him in a, a role or something but uh i really wish i could see him in more stuff too because i think he's really good no it's uh it's intense. I, I think it was also one of the first uh, movies that that kind of like had the whole everybody's got abs thing. <laughs> That's the one thing I was watching in this movie. And it's like, it's like, wow, it's like everybody is flexing <laughs> all the time. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like, you know, people just don't really look dehydrated. like that. <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, it's I, I just... can guarantee you that this movie, right off camera, just outside the green, the, the blue screen or green screen, they probably had a lot of gym equipment for these guys. Just like, <laughs> you know, it's like 
30 seconds to action, and they're out there just curling, just like, just doing sit-ups and shit. <laughs> yeah. No, I sometimes I wonder is like if there's like there was some uh, I don't know some some CGI worked into that. It's just <laughs> that's, I, I've been told that's what they did for Top Gun, the original one, for the Top. the uh, for the, the the volleyball scene. All four of those guys were just like just uh, maxing out right off camera, right before they'd say <laughs> action. Oh yeah, like the exercise and stuff. Yeah, they were just doing a lot of like like sit ups and curls and push ups and stuff like that, so that they could just like walk on camera and just like flex, you know. Yeah, no, it is it is funny because like it, this notion that you need to look like that, you need to have abs to be strong, is is actually not very true. But it's but you can't deny that visually, it just uh, makes a lot of sense. Well, this movie, uh, I always tell people, this movie's got a little something for everybody. You know, I remember when I got this movie on DVD, I remember I was watching it and um, at home and well, I should say at my parents' house or something or probably my grandparents' house or something like that. But I was watching it at a house somewhere and I remember my mom coming in and looking at it and just going like shaking her head like, what the heck is this? Like she didn't, she wasn't aware of the movie or anything, but I was like, those 300, it's about the battle of Thermopylae. And she just goes, why are they all almost naked? <laughs> and, and I was just like telling her like, well, there's, you know, I don't remember how I said it. I definitely didn't say it like this, but the, the gist I was trying to get across was like, there's a lot of tits in the first half of this movie, you know, and it's, and it's a very guy oriented, masculine testosterone injected film. So, you know, you gotta have something for the ladies, you know, it's you've got a lot of mostly naked men in this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's like, um, magic Mike with, uh, with, uh, Spears basically. And a better story. I think there and was a better story. Magic Mike from what I've been told anyway. Was it? Well, there's been there's definitely polls. I'm assuming. Yeah, probably. But um, yeah, I like the Louis C.K. thing <laughs> when he talks about like, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm pretty sure I'm not gay, but I'm probably top drawer gay. <laughs> 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 it's like you know if if you come to me with like a Brad Pitt or. Like this is the reason why I can't watch three uh, like I can't watch um, Magic Mike because I, I can't I can't see like Matthew McConaughey or or you know like what's the the lead guy I keep forgetting Shannon Tatum. Uh, Shannon Tatum like like that's top drawer like I can't it might it might move it might do something to me and I I don't want to be moved <laughs> uh, he doesn't want to question himself <laughs> uh, Louis C K is awesome yeah. Yeah, although I, I can't even imagine showing this to to Diana. Like, I, she would totally. It's funny because I just showed her um, uh, Sweeney Todd, um, and um, yeah, and I, I don't know, I because because it's a musical. She likes musicals, and I, and it's one of my favorite musicals. But then it's like there's so much blood. <laughs> yeah, and, and I forgot. Like, I mean, yeah, it's it's not, but it's not a horror movie. It's not a big part of the story. No, but there's um, a lot. But it, it really bothered her. But you know, but I think she still liked it uh, well enough. She appreciated it, but it was like, but I could do with less blood. <laughs> it's like Tarantino esque. Like I forgot how bad it gets there. Yeah, there's a lot of throat slitting. Yeah, 
No, no, not only that, but just like yeah, the the spritz, like all the the, the <laughs> yeah. over the top like spritz that like I don't even yeah. even know if that can happen to an actual human, but uh, <laughs> seems like Tarantino and Tim Burton's feel like it can. But <laughs> uh, one thing I was gonna um, bring up just because I thought this was worth talking about uh, when this movie came out, um, you know, this is. Uh, it's been going on for a long time now, probably even before the, the when this movie came out for sure. But I, I know that um, this was when we definitely had already gotten to the point where movie studios were cutting a teaser trailer. Then they were cutting like a trailer A, a trailer B, and sometimes like a trailer C to promote the movies. You know, they're like, as you're going to the movies seven months, eight months before it comes out, you, you get the teaser. And then when the trailer finally drops, it's like the big trailer that everyone wants to see. And then for these big blockbuster movies, sometimes when you go see a movie two months later, they want the hype to keep going, but they don't want you to like get up and go get your popcorn. So they'll show you a different trailer. You know, they'll cut it differently, show you even more of it and everything. Uh, this is the kind of stuff I actually kind of hate. Uh, mostly because I, I think that trailer companies are showing way, way too much of movies these days. And I can generally tell within the first 30 seconds to a minute of a trailer whether I'm going to want to watch the movie or not. Um, and so when I've already decided that I want to watch something, I hate when two months later I go to the theaters and I'm suddenly seeing more of what of the movie already before I even get a chance to see the movie. I'm like already upset about it. But I wanted to bring this up because... This was a movie, um, like I said, I was working in a theater at the time, so I was seeing everything under the sun, and I was going and seeing lots and lots of trailers. I was a projectionist, uh, I was working at the projection booth at the time, so I was, you know, uh, I don't think I was quite assembling movies yet, but I was definitely watching stuff uh, with the, you know, um, let's just say I was watching a lot of stuff, but the point I'm getting at here uh, slowly is that myself and my coworkers, my friends, everyone I talked to about this movie, when the trailer came out, it was so amazing. And there was so much hype on this trailer. And then every time a new trailer would come out, they found a way to amp me up even more. Like the trailers for this movie were so good that the moments that they would show They'd have Fassbender talking to the guy. He's just chopped his arm off. We didn't know that at the time yet, of course, but like he's talking to the emissary guy and he's like, you know, yelling at him saying like, our arrows will blot out the sun. And then he's just like, well, then we're going to fight in the shade, you know? And he's like laughing at him and stuff. And they're showing just little shots of them pushing people off the cliff. They're showing the like shots of people being stabbed. And then you get that epic shot after the arrows have come down when Gerard Butler stands up, he's got like six arrows stuck in his shield and he just takes his sword or spear or something and just breaks them off his shield. It's like, it's candy. I mean, it's incredible. And I just remember that each one seemed to get more and more exciting and show more and more awesomeness to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore. I had to see this movie. And I just remember that years later, I was talking with some people and... Um, certainly not quite as good of a movie, but um, uh, I remember when the girl with the dragon tattoo 
the the uh, the American remake came out. Um, I remember the trailers for that being so good, and I would talk to people, and we were like, "God, that's a great trailer." And I said, "I don't think I've seen a trailer that it excites me this much since 300." Hmm. Cool. When was um, the trailer for? Um, I, I do remember the trailers for this movie being like definitely. Uh, it's like, oh boy, you gotta see this. That's <laughs> uh, yeah. like I, I didn't feel like there was any trepidation. Oh, this is gonna be over the top. Maybe that's the thing. I might have been at the right age for that. Like, it's possible that this movie comes out now, and I'm like, ah, oh, come on, that's too much. And then maybe, maybe word of mouth that would like catch it later on streaming. But what was like Tinker? Taylor, that was like later, right? 2011. I think that was yeah. a, the 2011, yeah. I think. Yeah, because I I don't know why I am I always stick to my guns that that's possibly the greatest trailer ever. <laughs> I remember us talking about how it's a great movie. I mean, it's a great movie. It's a but, good movie. But the trailer the for trailer Tinker is Taylor like is better than the movie. Yeah. The trailer is better. It's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, it's. Yeah, it might be a worth discussion. I, the whole like trailer thing, some of the best trailers of all time. But it's it's funny, yeah. In recent years, I don't really watch trailers because I I don't go to theaters as much, so I, don't, I just don't come across as many of them. So I used to religiously like watch them on YouTube and whatnot, you know, to just see if I'm interested in the movie. But I just don't do that anymore. I just kind of see where the reviews fall, and then if it's got a good word of mouth, I catch it on streaming, basically. I still watch trailers on YouTube a lot because I find it more time efficient. And, um, and because of what I talked about earlier, I like being able to watch the first minute of a trailer and stop it because I really feel like those last 20 to 30 seconds or so is when they start showing you all sorts of stuff that I don't need to see yet. I've already figured out I'm going to watch the movie or not. Yeah. It's probably a good strategy. And nowadays, it, it helps that uh, most theaters these days have assigned seating because I can show up like four or five minutes before the actual start time of the movie and miss 80% of the trailers. That's good. <laughs> Anything that we haven't covered about 300? It's a roughly hour and a half to two hour movie. I don't remember the actual runtime. We'll see. I should actually say that because it's going to sound stupid. It's, it's under two hours. It's, it's just under two hours. It's a, so this yeah, 300, 300 is almost a two hour movie. And essentially after 45 minutes of setup, it's a massive climactic battle scene broken up into a couple of parts. And it's awesome. Yeah, which is kind of like my favorite Star Wars movie, uh, the or at least when I was uh, younger, Return of the Jedi to me is basically that too. Like they they rescue Han, and the rest of the movie is climax. Well, it feels like that, but I mean, when they get to Endor, there's a whole like thirty minutes with the Ewoks before the battle. Uh yeah, that's true, but it's it's in preparation for it. That's true, yeah. but it's yeah. But 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 even like even saving Han is is like a, an action sequence of its own. So absolutely, yeah, one of the greatest sequences of all Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, yeah, we've discussed this. The whole Empire Strikes Back is Act One and beginning of Act Two, and then like the continuation of Act Two and Act Three is is Return of the Jedi. If you look at that as one story, those two movies. Yeah. So, anywho. 
Um, yeah, no, 300 has definitely got that in its veins. Like, we're, like it's not like The Dark Knight where it's just constant thumping action. Um, but it's but yes, it's like it's got a very short setup and it just really goes for it all the way. And and like you said, the scenes where they cut to the politics and the uh it's it's good. It's that's the way it should be. It should be giving you a breather. You know, a lot of movies yeah. will just yeah. like kind of hit you too much that like it's just that there's no balance. This movie just had balance. I, even Snyder himself, like sometimes like just doesn't have enough balance definitely like you know the batman v superman thing and he lost it a bit <laughs> and um, that movie just suffers from being a very poor script too yeah i'm sure and the story matters exactly like he there's no denying at this point that snyder does much better when he, he's working with like a source material especially if it's like a well-defined source material like a specific comic book and 300 yeah. watchmen well, and um i mean you know his first uh, or uh, not his first um uh what is it that the remake of dawn of the dead you know if you get somebody else to write the script for him and give it to him something it's like usually a lot better obviously yeah, it's uh, it's one thing I was gonna check as uh, the the thing he's working on the science fiction thing, is it like uh, is it based on um, I think it's an original story. I yeah. I didn't even know he was working on something. No, the uh, Rebel Moon. It's gonna. Oh, be that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I forgot about that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had heard that. Yeah. Kind of like his Star Wars of sorts or his Avatar. Maybe. Very uh. <laughs> Avi High worked on it. For a oh, few really? Days. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I guess they're shooting in Santa Clarita or something. Uh-huh. Um, um, this is not of consequence. You could probably cut it out if you want to. But um, I was just looking right now. Um, Tim Connolly was the actor who played um, uh, the the father, Leonidas's father, in the flashback scenes. You know, when he's like throwing him around on the ground, he's teaching him about his shield and all that stuff like that, you know. Um, that's all he's Gerard Butler's stuntman. Uh, who, who was it? The, the guy's name is Tim Connolly, but the, yeah, he just, he plays, he plays the father in the flashbacks, like the Leonidas, the King's fathers, or the, oh, I sorry, see. Leonidas's father. Um, and, uh, and he's the, he's the stuntman for the rest of the movie, which makes oh, a lot of it. sense, but, uh, I did, I don't know. I just, I saw that. I was like, that's cool. Yeah. It's funny. I saw like, um, also unrelated, um, but like I saw this documentary about like Back to the Future, like the the making of, mm-hmm. and they're talking about like how uh, Eric Stoltz was replaced by by uh, Michael J. Fox, yeah, and and then there are like some theories online that about some of the shots, like some of the shots, like some of the eye line, like when Biff and Marty are like standing next to each other that the eye line doesn't fit Michael J. Fox, that it might have been the behind over the shoulder the Stoltz, Stoltz stuff, yeah. stuff and that was not reshot. And <laughs> and apparently from the interviews they say like, oh yeah, yeah, we reshot it. Like what you're seeing is, is a stunt double. The stunt double for <laughs> for Michael J. Fox might have been slightly taller, but but <laughs> most of that stuff was reshot. At least sure. that's what they claim. But um but yeah, anyways. <laughs>